So, my friends, today I wanted to bring all this home, talk a little bit about the future, our aversion to the future as meditators, which I've noticed in myself and others. So I think I'm going to start with just doing a real quick summary of some take-home points from the last few weeks, just to remind you where we've come from, because you know I love to be redundant. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. Um, so yeah, I'm going to start with just some overview of some of the points we've made over the last few weeks about presence and why we're practicing presence and mindfulness, especially how it relates to the past and the future, because it's a really important connection that we often overlook, which is why I put all this together. So just a few take-homes that we've, we've talked about. One, the big one, that the present moment in at least the traditional teachings of the Buddha is not an end in itself. The present moment is a doorway to something. It's a doorway to freedom. It is a place that we enter into, so to speak. We have a relationship with the moment where we become present, awake and aware, so we can then cultivate goodness and abandon that which makes us suffer. So there's there's a, th a reason why we do it. Now, being present is healthy in and of itself. I don't want to deny that. Being present can reduce anxiety and depression and Put us at ease. It can be just generally healthy for the body to practice presence. But for the Dharma, we're here for something greater than just that basic health. We are here to free ourselves from suffering. So the present moment becomes something greater. It becomes an opportunity, becomes a great potential for us to learn how to do it. So then our future becomes a, the present becomes planting seeds for long-term happiness and well-being to sprout as we move in the world. Another thing we talked about is just to remember that the past is a remembered present and the future is an imagined present. They're both just two sides of the present moment. So they're not really separate. They're just different ways of relating. So it's just good to remember that when we work with the present, we are always also working with the past because the present moment has an inheritance from the past. And it's in the present moment that we imagine, dream, and create our future. So the past is a remembered present, and the future is an imagined or envisioned present. So they're connected. In a sense, they are one and the same. If we want to heal from the past and enjoy a future of compassion and joy, then the present moment is where we do the work. That is where the work that is done is done. In the present moment which is why the present and our ability to be present is so important it heals the past it creates our future or allows us to create our future another thing we talked about was that the dharma the tools of the dharma are about relationship mindfulness changes the relationship we have with ourselves and with others it changes our relationship to our own heart and mind and it changes our relationship to those around us and the environment and systems and institutions. We're changing our relationship. And that's important because suffering exists in our relationship to the world. Suffering and happiness are not things, but they're products of relationship. So the Dharma allows us to change our relationship. And when we change the relationship, we change the suffering. We change the happiness. We change the relationship, that's where freedom comes in. So instead of engaging in the past, relating to it with grudge and resentment, 
we relate to it with a sense of letting go or a sense of not self, right? Or a sense of wisdom from our ideas of karma, etc. So we change our relationship. Instead of allowing the future just to show up, we look to the future and we plant aspirations of loving kindness. We plant aspirations of generosity and a wish for all beings, including ourselves, to be free. So we participate in the present in a way that allows us to change the relationship with the past and change the relationship with the future that increases our opportunity for joy. That's really what we're doing. So with that in mind, I want to move a little bit into the future to pull this all together. What is the connection between the present and the past that we've already established and our future? What is it and how do we as meditators relate to the future? Because it's very unique, I think, in the way that the Dharma functions with our future. This may be obvious, but I think it's really important to remember. If we don't heal from our past, or minimally, if we don't become awake and aware to how our past habits and past actions influence the present moment, then what we find when we go into our future is just more relics from the past. So if we don't do something about the past, then the past just lives in the future, right? So that's just something to remember, right? I know um, many, I know I felt this before. Have you ever felt that feeling of being, I don't know, the word might be destined or fated, or maybe sometimes you feel condemned to repeat your past actions, right? You're living into this future and you think to yourself, oh my God, I know I'm going to do that again. Or I just know this thing is going to happen again. We often take our past and toss it into the future and then we live into our future and then we have this feeling of being sort of destined to repeat what has happened in the past. If you're having that feeling, that is because the past is in fact in the future if it's not resolved because that's where it lives. So those feelings that we have that we're still running on this hamster wheel, that we're reliving these habits over and over, come from the fact that we haven't yet changed the relationship with these past experiences, that there must be a relationship change so that when we wake up to our future, it doesn't feel like we're just repeating the same old cycle, the same old relationships, the same old arguments with our kids, with our spouses, right? The same job mishaps and so on. So if we're feeling that, it's because there's a connection there and that the past actually not only lives in the present, but also lives in part in the future. It's important to remember that our future is in part created from our aspirations, our optimism, and our expectations that we plant right here and right now. So our future is connected, just like the past, to the present moment. So in the same way, that in the present moment when we're not feeling so hot, we're not feeling confident, competent, self-reliant, we might remember the past in quite quite negative frame, right? We might look at it like it's not such a good thing. We might highlight the negativity. When we're under the weather, we might get disgruntled. And if we remember the past in that moment, the past doesn't look so hot. Same with the future, right? If we don't feel we're good enough, if we don't feel we're capable, right? If we don't have a lot of confidence or self-esteem, then when we imagine our future, we imagine it from that present moment. And the bar isn't set so high, 
right? So we imagine and walk into the next present moment based on how we're, I mean, sorry, next future moment based on how we're feeling in the present. So our future is in part fabricated from the attitudes and aspirations that we're planting right here and right now. And those aspirations and attitudes are an inheritance in part from the past. So when we look at our future, it's important to know once again that it's a connection to the present and a connection to the past. Now you can look at it this way, which I think is helpful. And again, it might be obvious, but it's helpful to bring this into awareness, right? Because as they say, it's not always common practice, even though we might be aware of it. So in the past, if someone shamed you, for example, right? If you had an experience of being shamed, maybe it was a parent or school teacher or peer group or something. If at some point in your past, someone engaged you and shamed you in some way, it often leads to the story, I'm not good enough, right? I'm not good enough, which of course, there's versions of this. I'm not competent. I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. And that kind of past inheritance creates a particular aspiration for the future. And if we don't think we're good enough, we're not going to be planting seeds thinking we can aspire to do what we want to do. We won't inspire, we won't aspire to be, I don't know, maybe we have an aspiration in our career. Maybe we have an aspiration in our creative life, or maybe we have an aspiration to be a successful parent or a successful partner, right? So our aspirations are based on what we think we're capable of. So when we have that unresolved past, it is predicting in part and setting limits to our future. That is how the Dharma looks at the connection between those three dimensions. So the future is connected to the past in that way through the doorway of the present, which I know can get a little philosophical, but it makes sense, right? That our aspirations are going to be framed from our past experience, what we think we're capable of achieving or accomplishing or being in the world, how we want to show up is impacted on how we think we can show up and what we're capable of showing up as. That is how the Dharma presents this relationship. So I wanted to talk a little bit about this experience I've had, both as a meditator and as a Dharma teacher, about how people tend to approach the future. In the Dharma, we tend to think that the present moment is all there is. And because we think that the present moment is the goal, we kind of don't think about the future. We don't worry about it so much in our practice. We don't think of it as something that we're supposed to be working on. So in doing that, oftentimes we adopt this misunderstanding, which I often think is somewhat akin to this idea of going with the flow. And we've all heard this phrase before. I'm just going to go with the flow. And it's often cited as a spiritual ideology. It's often cited as a type of wise equanimity. That instead of planning and preparing, we're just going to be with what is. And we have to be really careful about this idea about going with the flow, going with what is, because it can backfire really significantly. It can really become a form of spiritual bypass if we're not careful. So this idea, when I say going with the flow, what I'm really talking about is the idea that it's antithetical to our spiritual practice if we plan, if we prepare, if we set spiritual goals if we make a concerted effort to strive. Um, these are the things I'm talking about when there's an aversion to these principles or these habit patterns. 
And what we end up trying to do is accept the future as it comes and not judge it. Like, oh, look, the future came. I'll just accept it as it is. There's a little bit of that in the Dharma. There is equanimity where we accept what arises in the present moment. But we have to remember that what's arising is in part something we've already created. It's seeds that we have planted. So it's not just something that's kind of fallen from the sky. So we don't just accept it and not judge it and not engage it. If we start doing that, then we get off course with our practice. And so it's important to remember that equanimity, this sense of letting go, we let go or accept what's arising in order to understand it. We don't just accept it for its own sake. We want to accept what's arising so we can really see, huh, look what's arisen in my present again. This habit pattern, right? This relationship faux pas, this hiccup keeps happening between me and my partner. There it is again, arising in the present from the future. Why is that? We accept that it's here and we don't run away from it. But once we've accepted that it's arrived, we then engage with it. We lean into it. We try to figure out, okay, how can I relate to this so that if it's a good thing, I want it to happen again in the future. But if it's a not so good thing, I don't want to just allow it to keep happening over and over again. I want to do something about it. That's where abandonment comes into the Dharma, where we let go of unskillful habits so they don't keep arriving in the future. So it's important to, to know the difference about this idea of just sort of going with the flow. For the most part, the Buddha is asking us not to go with the flow. The Buddha is asking us to go against our unskillful habits and instead be mindful, present, awake, and aware, which is not really how we're flowing most of the time. Most of the time we're on autopilot. That's the flow. So we have to be careful, and I'm going to give a few reasons why this can go the wrong way for so many of us, and I know it has for me. I definitely have been that person that uses the phrase going with the flow as an excuse not to be responsible for something. Oh, look, here's the product of my unskillful action. Let's all just go with the flow and accept it and just let, let it be here, right? And let's not acknowledge that I was a participant in creating it in our future together. So we got to be careful with this. So here's a few things that I've noticed with my own experience with this idea of, of the future and flow. If we're afraid to fail, which many of us have this feeling of being afraid of being successful or afraid of being uh, good enough or we feel like we're just not good enough and we're going to fail, we might not plan to do something. Because if we don't plan, we can't fail. If we don't plan, then we don't have to be accountable. Whatever arrives in the future just arrives. After all, you didn't plan for it. You weren't trying for something. So what you got is what you got. So oftentimes, we can get into this habit of not planning because if we don't plan, then we don't have to face something that might not work out, something that might not follow through. And it's a way of sidestepping our accountability to ourselves or to somebody else. So we have to be careful of that, this aversion to planning, right? Sometimes we say, I want to go with the flow, which means I don't really want to set any goals because what if I don't achieve them? What does that say about me? So we got to be careful of that aversion. It's very slippery slope. Another, things that, another thing that happens is that if we don't participate Intent, intently, with intention and attention with the future, then it's hard to learn. It's hard to grow because we are participating anyway. So if we don't set goals and trip and fall and stumble and fail sometimes to meet our own expectations, then how do we ever get better at something? 
right? How do we ever get to show up being more compassionate if we don't actually try and stumble, right? How do we learn to speak wisely and skillfully if we don't try it out? If I go into my future, right, and say, I really want to be skillful in speech, and then I completely botch it and put my foot in my mouth, then I've got something I can learn from, right? But it took that effort of not just letting the future come my way, but intending to show up in the future with a particular attitude, a particular aspiration to speak clearly and with kindness, right? And with a particular effort. So sometimes we don't plan, strive, connect, exert, try, because we're afraid of that process, right? Somehow we, in the past we've been shamed or learning is scary for us or something happened in our past, especially in the academics and the school world where learning was really weird for us in certain ways. And so when we're asked to learn something new or try or exert effort in a certain way, we get afraid. So instead of planning and trying to learn, we just say, I'm just gonna go with the flow and we take our hands off the wheel. So that's another way that can cause us some problems is that we rob ourselves of opportunities of learning and growing and changing. Another challenge with this idea of just going with the flow and not helping to create the future is that let's say you accidentally do get something that's pleasurable in your life. Let's say you accidentally are able to cultivate an attitude and have a good relationship or some circumstance arises and it's very pleasurable for you. Well, how did you get there? If it came and you just let it flow your way, you don't know how your participation shaped the experience. So if you all of a sudden have a great relationship with your partner, but weren't trying to do anything, that's great. It's good that it happened. But since you don't know how you participated, how do you keep it going? How do you bring that future into being over and over again? It's very different to keep the future going in a way that's geared towards compassion and wisdom and love if we're not trying to figure out how we can participate. So even if good things do happen, we won't know how to sustain them. We won't know how to keep them going. A real fine example of this is the jhanas, the concentration states that bring pleasure and joy. Oftentimes people will spontaneously get into a very concentrated state and it might happen quite frequently. So much so that the student won't try and practice how they got there. So because it's spontaneous, they don't have any access to it when they really need it because it's just, it just happens. They don't know how it happened. They have to practice and participate in it to see if they can recreate the experience. So meditations like that, right? We can hope that we'll become more compassionate or we can plant seeds of compassion right here and right now and struggle with it. And there'll be days when we find our heart feels kind of cold and blocked off. We feel behind, we feel like we're behind a wall of cement and we're not really landing the compassion or the generosity, but we learn and we grow and we change and we live into the future with intentionality, with wakefulness. So we have to be careful about just letting the future come because that future that co that's coming, you're participating in any, in, in any way. So you might as well contribute so that what arrives is joy, love, compassion, and wisdom. Now to remind you of something I've said before in other Dharma talks, if you are not awake and aware and living intentionally, then the five hindrances are doing that for you. If you're not living awake and aware and intentionally, the five hindrances have their hands on the wheel. So oftentimes when we say, I'm just going to go with the flow, 
What we're really saying is I'm going to sit in the back seat and I'm going to let all my unconscious habit patterns take me for a drive. And we all know where that goes. So we have to be careful again with thinking that we have no control over the future, that it's just that the spiritual mission is just to, to let it happen. Because that's not completely in alignment with the way the Dharma works. Because we do things in the Dharma. We enter into the present to plant seeds. So the next present moment, a la the future, is something delightful and something we can share with others. So I think I'll speak of one other aspect of this to bring this to a close. The Dharma invites us, if you look at the Eightfold Path, for those of you who've been in the Eightfold Path class or read any of the Eightfold Path books, the Eightfold Path is a series of tools, meditation practices, that invite us to get ready for the future. And this is one way of looking at it, of course, but this is, you'll see in a second what I'm talking about. But these, these tools are anticipating the future, preparing for the future, leaning into the future. So it's, I just find this really interesting. As much as we talk about presence, there's a lot of things we do in the present moment that are actually designed to blossom in the future. So if you think about what the Buddha asks us to do with mindfulness when it comes to, say, the Four Noble Truths, which falls under uh, wise view, the Buddha says, in each moment, we want to be awake and aware to the suffering. We want to ask ourselves, how am I participating in it? Is there something here to abandon? Is there something here I can cultivate? Can I let go of some striving? Can I add a little touch of generosity? Can I add a little touch of loving kindness to this moment? Every moment that happens, we intend to show up looking for the dukkha and looking for a way out of the dukkha. We look for the stress, we anticipate its nature, its naturalness, we know it's going to arrive, and we take our tools and we get ready to live fully. That's very much a future-oriented way of living, right? It's awake and aware, it's very present, but it's with an anticipation of the future. If you think of mindfulness and concentration, again, concentration is about stringing together moments of mindfulness. That means future moments. So when we think about concentration, what we are actually saying is, I want to string together future moments of mindfulness. So I want to be present enough so that the next moment and the next moment, I'm awake and aware. Samadhi, what we call one-pointed attention, though it's focused on the present moment, the whole point of doing it is so our future moments are wakeful. So again, we see that the present and the future are really interconnected. We shouldn't fear this, this idea of the future, right? It is a part of present moment mindfulness practice. And the more we can befriend this idea of the future, the easier it will be to heal from the past and to cultivate a deeper, more connected and intimate relationship with our present. Another example, wise intention, another fold of the Eightfold Path. Under wise intention, we aspire to be generous, we aspire to be grateful, and we aspire to offer loving kindness, right, and compassion and sympathetic joy to everyone we meet. That's an aspiration for the next moment. We're doing it right here and now. In this moment, I might say, may I aspire to be free from suffering? May I aspire to be filled with love and compassion? 
so the next moment can be filled with it. So you can see how it's the present and the future at the same time. Anytime we're cultivating loving kindness, it's for the present with an aspiration that it boils over into the next moment. The loving kindness, the generosity, these wise aspirations are tilling the soil in the present moment so the next future moment can blossom into a garden that's filled with joy and compassion. That's how the future is cultivated in the Dharma. It's done in the present, but we aspire to be in the future a particular way. We aspire to show up in a particular way. And the more mindful and awake we are in the present, the more possibility that opens up for our future. I just think it's cool that that's how, how that works. And of course, again, this is very much the opposite of going with the flow. It's not like you're denying that this flow happens. It's just that you're engaging with it. You're really engaging with it actively. And so to just bring this to a conclusion here, remember that we envision our future and what we're capable of and what we have the capacity to do and to be based on how much we have acknowledged, healed from, and can see how the past is in our present. And we do this envisioning from the present so this future can be awakened. And this is why we practice the Dharma. This is why the presence that we engage in is so powerful. Because we uproot the negative, unpleasant habits and we cultivate ones that lead us to liberation. That is the way the path unfolds. Present, past, future. All access within the present moment. Well, let us conclude. As I said earlier, the last few weeks we have done a lot of theory. That means the next few weeks we are doing deep dive into practice. So we'll be doing extra meditation in the sessions. And I have this aspiration. We'll see. This is my aspiration for the future. I would love to be able to do some guidance around the 32 body part meditation, which is something people don't practice very often. Um, I want to do some sense door work where we really work with sounds and how we respond emotionally to sounds and do some kind of sound meditation. Um, so I've got some ideas to keep us on track. Um, I'd like to do some stuff on the four foundations of mindfulness in this regard, but I think it's good to go back and do some real practice over the next few weeks so we keep ourselves grounded in actual present moment experience. On that note, thank you for coming. Let's do a little bit of meta so we leave with an aspiration for others to share in the merits of our practice. Get comfortable for a minute or two. And let's do some aspiration work for the future of all beings. Let's take one last long, slow, deep breath in, in through the nose and out through the mouth, regrounding ourselves in the awareness of the body. Let's bring our awareness to our heart. You might bring a smile to your face intentionally, body fabrication. And 
let's remind ourselves that we come together every week to donate our hearts and minds to our community, to practice together, to learn from each other, and to awaken. We come to wake up. We wake up in the spirit of the Bodhisattva vow, which is may all beings be free from suffering. May I share the merits of my practice with all beings. May all that I've learned this evening, may all the merits of my practice be shared with all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings know true joy, true love, true transcendence in this life. May all beings be safe and secure. May all beings be free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings feel loved, cared for, supported, and nourished. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends, for another wonderful evening. Be well, be safe, take care of yourselves. Thanks so much for coming.